Hello, everyone. My name is Sherry Rice, and I am CEO of Access to Healthcare Network. Welcome to our podcast, Access to Health. Our goal is to bring you informative speakers from the healthcare industry to give you information that can help you make your healthcare decisions. Today, we are talking about Healthy Nevada Project, and my guest is Dr. Tony Slonim, President and CEO of Renown Health. Welcome, Dr. Slonim. Sherry, thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, well, thank you for coming. This is going to be, I think, very interesting for people. We're going to talk about your Healthy Nevada Project, what it is, how it got started, the people that it's helped, and its future. But before we get into that, as long as I have you here, can we talk a little bit about your reign as CEO of Renown Health? How long has that been, Dr. Slonim? I am... uh Honored to say I just celebrated my fifth anniversary as the president and CEO of Renown Health, and what a tremendous journey it has been. You know, people in Nevada were so welcoming and helped me really get oriented to the to the on the ground activities. And I I really think, you know, there's some some destiny, some magic that happens where you can only hope that in some ways the experiences you've had in your career align with what an organization needs at that particular moment. And and for me, it's been magical. That's fabulous. What a great partnership you've had with Renown Health. Can we talk a little bit about some of the the changes since you've come on at Renown Health? What what are some of the things that you're most proud of, Dr. Slonim? Well, one of the things I'm, I'm very proud of is what we're going to talk about today, Sherry, the Healthy Nevada Project. Because uh, as you and I both share an interest in assuring that people have access to care, regardless of their ability to pay for it, this project has helped us not only deliver some important and cutting-edge care, it's helped us learn a little bit more about that conversation what it could look like. I'm also very proud of the employees and physicians that go into supporting, you know, renowned health uh, community patients every day. We, we focused a lot on not only the delivery of health care when people are sick and injured, but health. When I look out the window of my office, I see a community that has needs that are really important to make sure somebody is paying attention to. And that's not, a, that's not one man's job. That's an entire team's job. And I, we couldn't do that without all of the wonderful employees and physicians who help support us at Renowned Health. And I guess the third thing uh, that we're so very proud of uh, is our board and our community advisors because, first of all, you need a group of people who aren't afraid to talk to you and they keep you honest and humble. And secondly, they really have what's in the best interests of the community at heart. And for someone who's new, relatively new to the community after five years, you know, early on it was really helpful to learn from people uh, who lived here and made Nevada their home when I was new and still learning relationships. And they're also a very – at the end of the day, what you learn is it's not about the buildings and it's not about uh, the programs. It's about the people, and that's what keeps us going. It's true. I think you and I share a deep philosophy that I think uh, we've shared for quite a few years now on the need for our staff and the fact that, you know, I look at it as like dominoes and and you take one out of the middle and it disrupts the entire thing. And we know that those are the people that uh, that every day are on the front lines. And I've appreciated your commitment to the community. Yep, without a doubt. I truly have. Well, let's move into the um, into the project a little bit. How about that? Sure. And a simple question for the people who will be listening, what is the Healthy Nevada Project? So the Healthy Nevada Project is a population-based approach 
to improving people's health. What it does is it integrates clinical information, environmental information, social information, and genetic information into a data repository and helps us understand the risks to people's health and allows them the opportunity to kind of approach those risks, change their behaviors, and reduce them. Example, if you have a predisposition to lung cancer because you've been smoking for 25 years and you have uh, and you live in an environment in one of our zip codes where air pollution is high, we should be able to put those two markers together to say either move or stop smoking, and you'll help reduce your risk of, of lung cancer. That's a very simple example, but it's demonstrative of the way that we pull data together to help people understand their individual risks and importantly, I always say it's at the micro and the macro level. At the micro level, it's for the individual to improve the risk. At the macro level, it's for us to help understand how we can improve the community's health and its risks. Fabulous. That's a fabulous endeavor. Let's talk about when it began and and what it means to be a part of the project. How does one decide to to participate in the project? So, you know, I always say, like all good things, this started with a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Uh, Joe Jimsky, who is an amazing colleague, uh, is, a, is the principal investigator of the Health Nevada Project, and he's a DRI, Desert Research Institute scientist. Joe and I were introduced to each other because someone in town realized we were both from New Jersey and we should go have a cup of coffee together to talk about old times and those kinds of things. And Joe and I had never met before, but... Uh, had a shared background in how do you use large data warehouses. In my case, it was for research purposes and to write papers, and, and, and same in Joe's case. But imagine that you could put those two brains together in the same room where you might be able to not only drive cutting-edge research but also improve care. And out of that cup of coffee came the Healthy Nevada Project. We realized that the Desert Research Institute had core competencies that Renown Health didn't. Uh, Renown Health had a data repository and access to those data that DRI didn't. And together, as we always say, we're stronger than the individual parts. Right. And this was just a, a partnership that evolved out of that approach where we are doing amazing things, not only for our community, but as a model for other communities, because we know neither Renown nor GRI could do it alone. And together, we're, we've learned how to kind of amplify the impact. And I find in northern Nevada and Washoe County uh, primarily that these kinds of partnerships are not just, I wouldn't say easy to form, but we seem to have a sort of philosophy here that says that we are better together than we are apart. And I know, as you know, having been on my board of Access to Healthcare, that that's how we came together and how you've put this project together. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting for me, and, and one of the great things about our community and, and the Nevada community is it's large enough to make an impact and drive that level of innovation. We always call it the pioneering spirit. And at the same time, you're only two degrees of separation away from someone who you can pick up the phone and say, hey, what's your thoughts on this? I need some expertise or some guidance or, you know, let's sit down and grab a cup of coffee together and, and think about how we might do this to, to contribute. 
Yeah. It's, it's a really fun place to be. It's a fabulous philosophy here in northern Nevada. Now, to be a part of Healthy Nevada Project, you need to have a DNA test, is my understanding. Um, DNA tests, certainly, everybody's talking about DNA tests. 23andMe, they're talking about your Ancestry.com, et cetera. How does this differ from some of the ones that most people are familiar with? Sure. So... Um our vendor for the first, for the what we call the pilot phase of the Healthy Nevada Project, the pilot phase uh, was started back in 2016. And it was um, originally scaled to be 5,000 participants using the 23andMe test kit. Uh, within 24 hours, we filled those 5,000 spots and immediately opened up to another 5,000. That's what was so dramatic, Sherry, about the work. We would have never imagined that if you made, and, and this is some of the learning I'll go into later, if you make available a test kit that would, on, you know, on average in a store from TV, cost $200, you and I both care for people that can't afford the $200. Exactly, exactly. And so what happens as you try to democratize health care is you make things available to people and they put their hand up. They sign up because they want to learn. They they have a hunger for learning about what risk factors they possess that may set them up to illness or disease. And so we started with 10,000. We're now at 50,000 and we're statewide. We've got sites here in northern Nevada. We've been out to, as you know, a very dramatic geography here where we cover 100,000 square miles of care. Um, and we've got sites now in Las Vegas uh, where we're enrolling in our partner University Medical Center in Las Vegas is, is a great partner in helping us to make sure we've got statewide reach. And are you looking at um, down the road that not only would you be looking at the results for that pocket of that community, but also for the disparate parts of Nevada, rurals, urban, Las Vegas, Absolutely. You know, we are um, challenged with the fact that Nevada consistently ranks low in state health rankings. We have higher rates of mortality. We have more health care expense. We have a variety of things that don't cast us as a state in the best light. This effort is an opportunity to better understand where our state might make improvements and how we can go about that together, as we talked about before. If we could work together to get the data and analyze it, we hopefully will be able to work together to get the fixes in place and help Nevadans achieve the level of health status that we hope for. Well, I'd love to get um, your feedback as someone that has been here for five years, which in Nevada is a... A long time. Makes you almost a Nevadan there here. There you go. Uh, but also someone that came from another state. On your feedback as to why Nevada is always so low in the rankings. Because, you know, I've been here 45 years and I we toss that around. We've been doing it for decades as to why. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I don't think there's a one-size answer to this. I think that there's a number of things that make you stop and go, hmm. Uh, when you're contemplating the question. First among them, I, I should say, uh, part of the troubling part of the longer answer is when you look at our community providers and our staff, they're first rate. They're well-educated. They're well-trained. And, yes. and they have hearts of gold and really care for people. 
So if that's not it, if it's not training, education, and caring, then what is it? Well, we have ample technology. We have the right integration. We have some amazing healthcare hospitals and healthcare systems in the state. What is it then that is preventing us from breaking through? What we've come to learn in population health science over the course of the last few years is it's not only the clinical care. It's about the environment in which people live. It's the social determinants in which they live. It's, their, uh, it's our ability to, in, to inspire them to change their behaviors when a risk factor comes up and live healthier. And I think perhaps those are the areas in which maybe we're not uh, you know, breaking through to the degree that we might. Let's remember that our uh, our economy here in Nevada was built on one of gaming and and, and built on, you know, and, and with gaming goes the, the issues of addiction. It, mm-hmm. You know, collinear, mm-hmm. as we say statistically, collinear with gambling is drinking and alcohol use and smoking and eating excessively and a right. lot of other right. what, what some would refer to as unhealthy habits. And so breaking through on that is important. We also know that economically, as a state, we've been challenged, and we had a you know economic downturn. And when you have that, people tend to be less healthy and eat less healthy mm-hmm. and work too hard and have too much stress mm-hmm. that they don't matter. I think in aggregate, all of these things add up to the reasons why we don't rank up there in, mm-hmm. in healthy uh, healthy health status. And finally, I would say. And and this is interesting for us to contemplate as Nevadans and members of the community. We are one of the premier states out there in in a negative way around the opiate crisis. We have a lot of opiate addiction in our state. And at the same time as a state, we've put on the ballot the legalization of recreational marijuana, which which is a roadmap to additional use of opiates and addiction. So Mm -hmm. we have to think as a community and as a state about what health status means to us and whether we truly aspire to that given who we've been and our track record and our history and who we think we are today. Yeah, that's an excellent analogy. I mean, we it's incongruous. What we say and what we do is incongruous. And that you know, it's not only the gateway conversation around drugs. It's the fact that, and maybe this this goes back in some ways to our pioneering spirit, where uh, if you're the only one doing it, you may either be brilliant or dumb. I don't know. Right? Right. So, but we are one of only two states in the nation that doesn't have fluoride in the water. I know that. A public health. Isn't that amazing? Right. I mean, this is a public health controversy that was abated decades ago. Mm-hmm. And we're still debating as a, as a community whether or not we should do whether that. Whether we should do that. And the effects, everybody remembers the effects of what that means for children and fluoridation, how it prevents tooth decay and you know how it allows. But, but fast forward, we now know that tooth decay leads to heart disease and myocardial infarction, mm-hmm. heart attacks, and a whole bunch of other infections that if you don't have good dentition, you can't eat right, you have poor nutrition. Mm-hmm. So wow, you wonder about why we can't seem in some cases to get out of our own way. Right, and connect the dots. Right. Connect the dots. It's not uh, 
rocket science. It, it, you just connect the dots to what gives you an outcome that you need. It is possible, I suppose, that 48 other states are wrong and we're right. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't seen any data on that yet. <laughs> I haven't seen anyone take that, right. uh, that stance yet. <laughs> I truly haven't. So back to the Healthy Nevada Project, and I, I love chatting with you because we can go off on these little other things that come up. But what what I hear is that you're everything we talked about, the social determinants, healthy lifestyle, you're all putting this into the project so that maybe, maybe we can connect the dots and maybe we can do exactly what you and I just discussed. Exactly. And what I would hope, right? So if I were to fast forward on kind of where we are, which is putting data stores together, making sure they're protected and getting some feedback to individuals about what their genetic risks are and also helping to elaborate some other areas where we know there's big risks in the community. If I were to fast forward for, you know, kind of my dream, is that we know people don't all like to be taught in the same way, right? For those of us in administration, we take these behavioral analyses called Myers-Briggs or other such surveys. Imagine that we could survey people and figure out how they like to learn, and then integrate that into the database so that when we're presenting them with their risk score, they get it, they get not only the content, they get it on a platform in which they like to engage in. Some of us like to listen to podcasts, other people don't. Some people like to watch TV, some people like to play games. How do we understand how people like to learn and then present them with their information about their social risks, their environmental risks, their genetic risks, and their clinical risks in a way that they would like to receive it to create the best opportunity for impacting them and their health. Is that one of the goals of yeah. the Healthy Nevada Project, that you would put that together? Uh, yes. Uh, you know, it's, I would love to be able to hand to people, we're not there yet, but I would love right. to be able to hand to people their personalized risk assessment in a way that they said they wanted to receive it, their own learning, learning preferences, right? We all learn differently, yet the way that we tend to educate people about their health status is a one-size-fits-all. Right. How do we break through on that and really learn how people would like to uh, be engaged? So now somebody who wants to come into the project, they sign up, they come in and, as I think you said in a newspaper article, spit into a tube. And then what happens after that? How do they get the results? Do they get it by mail? Does somebody call sure. them? What's the sequence of events there? Yeah, so it's a very, uh, I'll lead you through the kind of sequence on a very concrete level. Uh, we we make available to, for testing, and, and if anybody wants information, they can certainly go to healthynv.org, healthynv.org. Uh, and, and there it describes in detail not only the process, but how we're managing the conversation. You put your hand up, you say you want to participate, you come to one of our testing centers, you spit in a tube. Uh, it's a very easy test, it takes 20 minutes, but before you even spit in the tube, we go through a series of pieces of information so that you consent to participate in the project. It's, that, no, it's no cost. Uh, if you agree to consent, you get to choose. You get a couple of choices there. Um, do you, if we find something, do you want to be notified with the findings? If you have a health history problem and we have a clinical trial that becomes available, do you want to be contacted? Some people say no, some people say yes. We also uh, ask you about your data and how you would like us to keep your data because as you know, 
data security and privacy is such an important topic for us these days. So you spit in the tube, and we take that tube and send it off to our partner Helix, which does all of the genetic sequencing behind the scenes. Helix then provides you directly to your inbox, which we got from uh, registration, your personalized genetics report. It comes back to those data, and your report comes back to the Health of Nevada project, where we integrate it then with other key findings and provide you information on an ongoing basis if we, if we find out that you have uh, particular risks. So someone can actually explain to them what they're looking at. Well, that's the best part, is if, you know, we should acknowledge to people that the single gene, single genetic problems are very, very rare. Less than a half a percent of the community actually has a genetic problem. But if you have one, you want to know about it. And so how we go about that results giving is important. We want people to have access and we make this available for free if you're a participant. If there is a finding, we give you back the results. We give you if you want a list of doctors, if you don't have your own, who can give you appropriate information about how to manage that, and we make available for free through another partner, Free Genetic Counseling. Because you want to know what it is that you should have to do in order to follow up effectively. I want to point this out. This is really important. And for me, it differentiates the project from other things. In all of these engagements, we are working with the participant not with their doctor, not with their health plan, if they have a health plan. We're working with the individual. That participant gets to decide if they want to take that report to a doctor. That participant decides if they want to get follow-up or not. And so when I say democratize healthcare, we've given the consumer the power back to decide what they want to determine how they live their life and how they become self-determining. That's very important. You don't have to, we don't go through your doctor. It does not end up in your medical record unless you say it should end up in your medical record. And that's important stuff. That's very important. And, and somebody then gets the information. You give them the information that they need to be able to make their decision on how they want to move forward on that report. And if they need further uh, genetic testing or if they need further genetic counseling, so, all available for free. All available. We had um, on a podcast, I don't know how many weeks ago, Dr. Slotnick. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Slotnick, we talked, um, of course, about genetic testing. Do you take pregnant women into this program? Uh, I, believe, I believe that uh, any participant over 18, pregnant or not, is, is, can participate. Can. And, and that's, we're actually just starting, we haven't written the uh, IRB proposal yet, but we're working on it, is how do we do what is called cascade testing? We have a couple of participants who have found out they have a genetic predisposition for certain things. And they would like to test their children to find out if they're carriers or if they're at risk. Because the earlier you get people for some of these conditions into treatment or screening, the better off you'll be. And we're working on a protocol right now that allows us to test people down, children down to age 12. Oh, wow. For cas what we call cascade testing. Right. In a family where they fa have a finding. Exactly, So yes. that we can make sure they're not at risk. Right. Fascinating. Um, is this all done through the renowned Institute for Health Innovation? Yes. And tell me about that institute. They, so a few years ago, we started um, our institutes as a part of the journey of what I call health and healthcare. 
Healthcare systems have been known for so, you know, you expect us uh, as a community provider to be there if you have pneumonia, to be there if you have cancer, to be there where a trauma center, to be there if you got, you know, God forbid, hit by a car or some terrible accident, you fall off a ladder. And, and, and we're, we're also known for, as a children's hospital. More and more, though, we've been distinguishing between health care, what we do for you when you're sick or injured, and our obligation to help make you healthy. And that's not only when you're sick or injured. That's about a conversation about how do we create an appreciation for wellness in mind, body, and spirit and make sure that we're offering services that allow us to help you live healthy. If you have a question about herbals and vitamins, call us. If you have a question, we know you're going to call us, you know, if you fall off out of a tree, but will you call us if you have a question about herbals or will you just find that on the internet or on the street? That approach, health and health care, is really important for Ram Health, and our new strategic plan actually drives with two operating divisions, one on health and one on health care. In the health conversation, what we've realized is we weren't structured to do it. You can't take hospital executives who were worried about staffing a particular unit that day and making sure they have enough nurses or doctors on and have them worry about immunization rates in the community. It's inconsistent. They're always going to be stressed about making sure they got enough people and driving to the hospital care and making sure the emergency department flows and all of the rest of what goes to running a hospital. And so our solution for that was to invest in what we call institutes. Institutes are only focused on health. And we put leadership there. We employ people to drive the health conversation. And currently we have four institutes, a child health institute, an Institute for Healthy Aging, an Institute for Health Innovation, which is where the Healthy Nevada Project sits, and an Institute, the Matheson Institute for Behavioral Health and Addiction. Through the generous support of Stacey Matheson, uh, we have been able to address the needs of some members of our community who really are struggling with addiction. But we focus that programming not on the hospital side. We focus it on community-based wraparound services where we know these people can't get access to care. Well, that's a huge shift for um, a hospital environment, yep. huge shift. And that, that, of course, is about social determinants in many ways. Let's talk about that for a second, if you don't mind, because that's a last couple years. That's, that's a word that's come into yep. uh, all of our vocabularies in healthcare. Uh, in your mind, what's a social determinant? You know, social determinants are all of the things that contribute to our inability to achieve a health status that we aspire to. And I think it's a very individual thing, right? You, It's not up to me to be so paternalistic as a doctor when I'm caring for a patient say, you have to have the health status that I want you to have. This is about a conversation where I can facilitate, help, prop up the individual to say, what kind of health status do you aspire to? And how do we make sure you have the right circumstances to create it? But it includes things like food deprivation. It includes things like housing uh, insufficiency. It includes things even as dramatic as crime rates and access to good nutrition and education. You know, the public pillars of what we know contribute to better health status Education is one of them. If you're not a high school graduate and are illiterate in some ways, you have a lower life expectancy because you're not only 
less literate in the generic sense, you're less literate in the health sense as well. And so our job is to figure out how we address with the participation of the individual these determinants and, and kind of make them, help them to break down the barriers, I, I guess is the best way to say it, about what's getting in their way for a better health status. Well, let's talk about where that conversation starts because um, is it at the primary care office? I had Dr. Packham and Dr. Pasnack on uh, quite a few weeks ago to talk about the physician shortage in Nevada. And Dr. Packham had just put out the report, and it was a little frightening as to how low we are compared to the rest of the nation in primary care yep. physicians. So who's having that conversation? Where should we have the conversation? And how are we making time for it? Well, I have my opinion on this, as Th you would have expected, I'm, that's right? That's why I asked you. And it's interesting coming from a physician. Our physician colleagues are so, so busy. They are just, right? We have 200 less doctors per 1,000 people than in other parts of the country. Yep. And, and we keep talking about the doctor shortage. I want to make sure we realize that you know it's even worse for nurses. We're not... It's true. The number it's of true. licensed nurses has actually gone down mm -hmm. year over year from 17 to 18 here in northern Nevada. We've got to figure out how we address these issues. So the answer for me is it needs to be team-based, and I don't think the conversation on the health side needs to start in the doctor's office. You can't get 15 minutes to get through all of the things that people need. And no offense to physicians, I'm a physician by background as well as a nurse. There are other members of the team who can do that. We, we've got amazing professionals in public health and health prevention and disease promotion and other areas where they've been educated and know better than I do as a physician how to interact with people, how to motivate them. And we've been spending, I believe, too much time on the what degree do they have and what certification do they have. And, and sometimes what people want is a, a person that they can connect to from a relationship perspective. Yes, they do. And just be open and honest about what worries them. And yep. that, that is not the way that the health system is organized. One piece of learning from the Healthy Nevada Project that I think is generalizable in that space, the physician's prescription has become a metaphor for reduced access. When you think about healthcare services, most of it needs to go through a physician writing you a prescription or a licensed provider writing you a prescription. What the Healthy Nevada Project taught us is if you don't need a prescription and you offer things to, for, for free, 50,000 people put their hand up and say, I want to participate. Right. So break down the barrier or that rate-limiting step of getting access to a doctor and uh, making sure it's paid for, and you will have people sign up to live healthier. That's a dramatic learning because, again, this has nothing to do for me with the fact that our doctors are, are, are not wonderful, they're terrific. But when you're that short in terms of staffing, you have to be able to think about how you provide care with other people and how you are innovative about that. There's nothing dangerous about spitting in a tube. And we could come up with a half a dozen other examples about where we could enhance people's health without it having to be written on a prescription pad. And why aren't we just crowdsourcing it and doing it that way? Well, and I, I like what you're saying about we. it's not all about the primary care physician. We can't put that all 
on him or her. We just can't do that. Nor can we put it all on the hospitals. It's sort of the similar analogy, I think, of the school district. We can't put it all on the school district. Not at all. There's right. nobody has enough space and time. Plus, is that their total responsibility? You know, it's so funny. As parents, we have an important responsibility in education, right? As a community, we have important responsibilities around mm-hmm. helping people live healthier. What are those? And, and here we're in northern Nevada where we've got amazing outdoors and great community resources to be able to help people to live healthier. How are we launching that conversation in a way that really does, I keep coming back to this, crowdsources health. I think there's something there that we should pay attention to. Well, and it brings, and bringing together all those community partners. It's a philosophy of nobody can do it by themselves. It's a shared responsibility, and we it's to be approached that way. That's right. You know, it's funny for me. So use that example for additional clarification for your listeners. 50,000 people tested. About 400 of them actually had something that needed to be addressed. Yes. We don't need doctors managing all 50,000. You need a doctor for the 400. How do you help tee up the work that doctors really need to pay attention to so they can provide the most focused effort and use the doctor brain in its most meaningful way for its best outcome. But what I'm also hearing, though, is that some of those 50,000 may not need the physician to address it, but they need a whole other person to come in and talk to them about their results and about living a healthier life, but it doesn't need to be a physician. Exactly. Imagine that this is part of the child's health Institute's work. As we're thinking about how to drive that health conversation, now we clearly haven't done genetic testing in kids, but if you could come up with that same risk profile for a child's health, you know, we know only 70% of kids in the community are getting the appropriate immunizations. We know if you combine the lack of immunizations with, you know, grades of grade point average of C, you are at a high risk. There's two things going on there mm-hmm. that affect your ability to graduate high school and live healthy. Wow, we should, that's a hot spot we should be able to address as a community, not necessarily on the medical side of the world. So, so which ones as a CEO do you choose to put the time and energy into? I mean, you and I are both big picture people. We know that about each other. Yep. We, we, th- we can think of more ideas in a week than most people can in, in a, you know, right. six months. How do you decide which ones are the ones that you're, you want the energy and the funding, actually, to go into and move down that road? You know, it's, it's a great question. I had this conversation with my, um, my strategy team a couple of weeks ago. Every day, as an executive, you get pinged with other people's wonderful ideas. And many of them are terrific, but you only have so much bandwidth to be able to manage those ideas. And more importantly than you or I, is our teams, right? They're all working as hard as they possibly can. And so it's important for us, and I know this is how I approach my work, I filter. I I use the example that if I get 100 wonderful ideas that come to me, 10 of them probably are worth some additional exploration. And so that's about 10%. Out of the 10, I have those 10 meetings myself, out of the 10, five, right? So now we're down 5%, right. require that I bring in other members of the team because either I think it's got some value and I'm not the content expert, right. or it's something that I think we should be doing and I'm going to need somebody else to run with it. And out of that, one or two in the course of a year actually get done. Actually get done. Yeah. 
Yeah. The Healthy Nevada Project was one of them. Yeah, that's fabulous. Yeah. Well, and to have something move forward that affects so many people in such a short amount of time. That's right. I mean, you know, so let's let's talk again about somebody listening and how they would uh, be able to sign up for this. I think you said it was HealthyNevada.org. Correct, HealthyNevada.org. We have testing centers going on around town. Um, and if you go on the HealthyNevada.org website, we'll tell you where you can test. If you're an employer and want to, we'll bring the testing to you. We have this portable. We go out to all of the rural communities. We like to partner with our rural hospital partners. And if they're running a community fair for their community out in Winnemucca or Elko, we'll send a team mm -hmm. and be a part of the health fair in the community under that hospital's leadership. And we'll just be there and offer genetic testing because we believe that this is important for us to help improve not only that individual's health, but the health status of our state. What's important for us as you go about understanding that, that little bullet point that I just mentioned is Nevadans by nature are giving. You would be surprised of all the participants I talk to in the project. What really motivates them is, yeah, they're interested in their own health or their own ethnicity or where they came from or where the family came from, but they're really interested in helping out other people in the community. And that giving spirit is, I believe, what has made this project uh, so memorable and so rewarding, is that you see the true spirit of people come through. And what are the next steps for the project, Dr. Slonim? You, um, you've had 50,000 people go through this. As you said, there's about 400 that you've done uh, further information for. What are the next steps to talk about the aggregate of combining the health and the social determinants? Where, where, Where's next with that for 2020? A couple of things that we're doing here in Nevada. So we hope to, uh, we have 50,000 people. That's about 20% of where we want to be. Our goal is 250,000 people in Nevada will be tested. Uh, and we're well on our way to launching that kind of approach about how we do because that takes a multidisciplinary approach to get to that kind of numbers. Uh, the second thing that we're doing is the top one, two, and three genetic conditions, uh, breast and ovarian cancer gene, familial hypercholesterolemia, and Lynch syndrome, those are the three in which we're giving results back to people. They're called the tier one genetic conditions. We want to, in the short term, open it up to tier two, which is the top 10 genetic conditions. Most of them are cardiovascular, cardiac and lung disease in their origin or cancer. And we want to give those results back to the 50,000 people that have participated. The third thing that we want to do is to bring that cascade testing down to children uh, 12 and over so that we can really help families drive to them. We know health and health status is familial. Not only are the social determinants familial, the genetic determinants are familial. And so how we embrace families in this conversation is important. And we've played with the idea significantly and have launched what we call the Healthy USA Project. There are other health systems around the country who want to do this for their community in the way that we've learned to do it. And so in the spirit of learning together, we've said we have room for five other health systems to join us on this journey, and we will teach them how, to, how we did it. You shouldn't have to learn it twice. When we've 
gone through the thinking and learned how to create the consent and learned how to make this electronic and how to you know, protect the data. And why should another health system have to learn this their own way? And most importantly, give results back to people. We should be able to help them through that if they're interested. And so we've made that available. We just did a webinar yesterday for the American Hospital Association. Oh, very cool. And are other states taking notice of what, what we've done here um, in Nevada? Yes. You know, we had an opportunity to go to Massachusetts. We've had an opportunity to share with people in Virginia and oh, North Carolina. Fabulous. Other people are doing really eager to learn. But it goes back to what we said before. They're also be, those leaders are also being inundated with 100 topics a day. And they have to figure out if this is their top one or two to, yeah. to move forward. So let me go back on a few of the logistics again for people that are listening. Um, you sign up at healthynevada.org, spit into a tube, you give your information. Um, and again, we want to stress to people that you don't give this information to an insurance company, you don't give it to a physician, law enforcement can't get it. Completely de-identified. Com- completely. So it's totally safe from anybody being able to identify them with mm-hmm. the information. Anything else pertinent to that that um, that I haven't said in that statement that somebody would want to hear? The most important part of that is, and people say, well, how can you do that? You, you can't protect it from the law. Well, actually, we have other protections because the Healthy Nevada Project is being run as a research project. And so while we can give clinical information back because we've got clinical-grade testing, as a research project, we have certain protections, in, you know, patient privacy protections, institutional review board protections, et cetera, et cetera, that give it a higher level of protection than if this was even clinical care. And so that you know, there's the um, protections for research participants regulations that help to guide the kind of halo effect over privacy with this, these data, even more importantly than other data. Fabulous for people to know. Before we close, let's talk about what you see in the crystal ball in 2020 for Renown Health, Dr. Slonim. What are what are the projects that you would like to see of all those ideas come to fruition in 2020? I know the Healthy Nevada project is important, but what else? Well, you know, we are uh, we just have a new strategic plan that we kicked off. It's the second one in my five years here. Um, the, the first great honor I had when I arrived here in Reno was to create a new strategic plan that was five years for renowned health. We finished that about a year ago, and or you know we're far enough along in that you never actually finish a plan, but you roll it into yeah, the exactly. next plan. And, and so we started that dialogue about what we needed to do next for the community. And I think we've made some important progress. And you know, as a CEO, I'm never satisfied. So there's always things I wish we could do better and think better and and advance better. We've made some dramatic progress on quality. We need to continue to push the envelope. At the end of the day, we want to make sure that we have the facilities and the staff and the technology to care for people in a way that they they can be happy getting their care here at home. As a cancer survivor myself, Sherry, you know, one of the things I always say is there's nothing better when you're sick or injured than to get care surrounded by your family and friends. And so we want to make sure that that's available. We also make sure, though, that if there are certainly some programs we can't support in our community. And we want to make sure that if people need those services, we can streamline that. Our partners at Stanford Health and the Lucille Packard Children's Hospital are stand at the ready with a hotline for Nevadans 
if there's something, we just call that number mm-hmm. and Stanford makes the transition for us. We, you know, we fast track the medical record and people can get seamless care uh, in network right. um, if they're a member of our hometown health plan. And that's, that's important. You, our vision is that we help to protect the community from things they don't even want to think about right. and don't have the energy to contemplate. We should be helping them through those decisions. Right. Fabulous. Well, I want to thank you, Dr. Slonim, President and CEO of Renown Health, for coming on today. And I really want to thank you for talking about the Healthy Nevada Project. For anyone who's listening that would like to participate in this project, they can go to healthynevada.org. And Dr. Slonim, I want to thank you for being our guest, but also for your five years in our community. And I hope it'll be at least five to ten years more. Sherry, thank you so much. It's so great to be back together. Appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for listening to our podcast. For a list of future podcasts, go to accesstohealthcare.org slash podcast.